If you grab your Bibles and open up to Numbers chapter 16 with me, we'll be there in just a minute. Lord, change my attitude before it's too late. I want to congratulate you. You've made it to the final week of this series, and it tells me you are serious about having change in your attitude. We've learned over the last couple of weeks that an attitude is a pattern of thinking that's formed over a long period of time. We've seen that a lifestyle of grumbling and complaining leads to a lifetime in the wilderness. As we look at this fifth and final wilderness attitude tonight, and uh, the New Testament antidote to that wilderness attitude, I believe this is probably the one that grips us and is the most dangerous to us of all five. It's an attitude of rebellion. And can you say that with me? Rebellion. Some of you are looking at me like, I'm not saying that. You're rebelling right now. I'm not going to do that. You can't tell me what to say. I'm not going to do that. There is an attitude of rebellion that can lead us into a lifetime in the wilderness. It appears in our day, in our culture, that rebellion is spiraling deeper and deeper into our guts. Rebellion's not new. It's been around since the Garden of Eden, but it's easy to see in our culture that rebellion is becoming a deeper part of who we are. If you just look over the last number of years, in the 50s, at least in our culture, in our country, rebellion has shifted a lot from then to now. In the 50s, it was, looking back, maybe a surface rebellion. It was on the top. There would be a rebellion of clothes, a rebellion of music, of hairstyles, and there was other things, and sin, no doubt, but culturally, rebellion looked in that shape and that form. By the 60s, there was more of a structural rebellion, the down-with-establishment, make love, not war. Drugs and alcohol became a part of a cultural rebellion. We move into the 70s, and it's not just a surface rebellion, it's not just a structural rebellion, but we begin to find a sexual rebellion, this attitude of it feels good, do it. Whatever brings pleasure to me, that's what I will do. In the 80s, the rebellion shifted to a social rebellion. It seemed like every people group was fighting for their rights. This is what I want. I have the right for this, and I'm going to do whatever I can for me and my people group to get my rights established. If that was true of the 80s, the 90s would look like this conglomerate of all of these put together with a super rebellion where everybody is crying out to have their own way. We find our culture today feeling that it's their God-given right to stand in judgment against any authority over them whatsoever, anywhere. God is warning us that it's not just in the Garden of Eden, but it's today that rebellion is an attitude that leads to a lifetime in the wilderness. Some have suggested that it has never been more difficult than today to lead people spiritually. People don't take your word for it today. They are suspect of authority, and that suspect of authority is transferred to not only pastors, not only to church leadership, but it's already attached to Scripture. Their suspect is that have authority, and their suspect of, does God himself even have any right to tell me how to live? Even in my day, I've witnessed a shift in rebellion, growing up with an inherent belief that's passed on to me of, The autonomy of the local church. We're blessed to be a part of a team of churches that is interdependent churches, but we have autonomy of the local church. And it's shifted from that being a positive body lifting up thing to, I don't need any denomination to tell me what to do. My church will do whatever it needs to do. And the autonomy of the local church began to take on some kind of different shape and form. But today, I think it's shifted to the autonomy of every believer. It's... This sense of every Christian having this spirit that says, you can't tell me how to live. I'll just find myself a new church. We don't have an autonomy of the local church anymore. It's the autonomy of every believer, at least by the feelings and actions of many. I want you to uh, look at number 16 with me. And before we walk through these verses together in this chapter, I want to do a quick overview of the story to give us a synopsis before we dive into it. We find Moses and Aaron here leading two million people to the promised land. We've been in this book, these passages of scripture over the last number of weeks, and 
it's interesting that this journey was only 300 miles. But it seems like it's taken them forever. You thought the sermon series was long. They were in the wilderness forever, it felt like. When you read about it, I remember reading about this and hearing about this in Sunday school class as a kid. It seemed like it was century upon century of how long that they were there. And yet, historians tell us, theologians tell us, that it was only about 16 months that they had been in the wilderness to this point. I don't know if you caught that. It's it's 16 months. Now, 12 of those months, they were camped out hanging around Mount Sinai, and then they continued to move on after that, those four months. Before we dive in, there's something that we can't miss here, at least chronologically. It doesn't take a lot of time to move from an attitude of gratitude to an attitude of rebellion. There's a lot that happened in 16 months from an attitude of gratitude to an attitude of flat-out rebellion. Rebellion is serious to God. If you're taking notes, that's the first thing you might want to jot in. Rebellion is serious. Now what happens here in number 16, there's a group of men that get together. They are not pleased with Moses' leadership. They want to let him know about it. But before they do, they want to gather as many as they can, and they want to come up to him and let him know that they're not so excited that he's in charge, and they want to tell him what to do. Now Moses turns to God and Then he lays a challenge out before the people. God's anger is so strong he wants to strike the people down at that moment. But Moses pleads with God and says, have patience, wait, don't do it yet. Then Moses tells these guys, these rebels, to pick up these censers. It's frying pans on the end of a pole and it was a tool of worship. They would put coals in there and incense in there and it was a part of their worship he says okay you want to be in charge you pick up some tools of worship you come out we're going to have a worship service before god and we will see which worship is pleasing to god amazing all of those who uh, had false worship and rebellion before god the earth opened up swallowed them up and took them down to the depth some translations say down to hades amazingly all those who watched this take place They took it as their cue to rebel against God, too. I mean, I just don't understand this in Scripture. I just don't understand these people. They they come against Moses, and they say, we know better than you. We don't like this. And Moses says, we'll just take it to God. Let him decide. And the earth opens up, swallows them all up. And everybody watching, instead of saying, I think we're on the wrong side of this argument, they say, well, Moses, we're not too excited with you either. I mean, did they not just see what happened before them? It is an amazing picture of how deep the rebellion went. Rebellion is serious. That's the main point of this chapter and probably even of tonight. Now I want you to take your thoughts from these guys who are hacked off with Moses and their frying pans on the end of a pole and these tools of worship and the earth swallowing them up. And I want you to begin to think about the people in your life that have authority over you. I want you to begin to think about the authority that has been placed over you. Romans 13.1 tells us that the powers that be have been ordained by God. Authority is to be respected and to be lived under. I want you to think with me for a second. What are those authorities that God has ordained to be over you? Now, I want you to shift your thinking to your mouth. And just call out to me, what are some of the things that, that have authority that... God has ordained that you are to live under. What avenues of authority are over you as a Christian? Can you think of one? Pastor. Another one over here I heard? Boss at work. Are you the boss at work? Oh, okay. I thought this would be an awesome opportunity to say, hey guys, I'm the boss at work. That's right. Husband. Spiritual leaders. Boss at work. Anybody else? Oh, then I see you got so many at once. One of you go. The Bible, the other one, government, mom and dad, articles of belief. There's lots of things that God has ordained that is a authority over us. Now you say, well, some of those authorities over me, I don't like them too well. I don't think they're making very good decisions. I'm not sure if I really agree with them or not. But the interesting thing is, whether we agree with it or not, God has established a system of authority that we are to fall underneath. Make no mistake about the fact that God has placed authority in our lives, and we are called to submit to it. God 
may have allowed that person to be an authority over you, even if you disagree with them, even if they're not displaying Christ-like characteristics, maybe he has allowed them to be an authority for the people who have put them in authority to have judgment come on them. It could be that God says, is this the kind of leader you want? Then, then this is the kind of leader I'm going to give you, and you will reap the benefits or the pain of that kind of leadership. But make no mistake, God doesn't say, well, I'm not going to have authority on earth. I am putting a system of authority together that you should fall underneath. I wonder how often we realize that God takes our attitude to the authorities he has established over our very lives so seriously. We don't often like to think about that. Now, this is a message you think, teaching on drugs, sex, and rock and roll makes the room quiet. You just talk about rebellion. You just talk about submission, and it's not a very exciting topic. We don't like to talk about it, and here's one reason. Rebellion, write this in, exists in every human heart. Every single human heart at one point or another has had rebellion that exists in their heart. You say, no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Right now, you're... Rebelling against the fact that there is rebellion in every human heart at some point. Numbers 16, let's look at verse 1 together. Korah. Now now this is interesting. Before we go on, you you may want to know that Korah means the bald one. (laughs) I just knew that you would think that's that's funny. I have no idea why you're laughing. but uh, Not a lot of significance for us there, but it means the bald one. Korah. Son of Izhar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi. Now, if you're wondering, what is all this stuff with these weird names? What's happening? That's the point right there. If you write in your Bible, circle that, son of Levi. That's what we're trying to get to. He was from the tribe of the priests. If we read on, a certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abraham, sons of Elath, and these are just the sons of Reuben, priests they were not reubenites they were they were good guys they were regular guys they were not priests but they gathered together they became insolent and rose up against moses with them there were 250 israelite men well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council now notice who these guys are who are these rebels who are the ones that are coming against moses they're not outcasts They're not troublemakers. They're not untrained or unschooled, uneducated. No, they are noblemen of the Israelite society. They were collections of leaders over different groupings. They're not fringe players. They were responsible people that have gone wrong. Does that happen sometimes? You bet that happens. Good men, capable men, but they got sideways. We're going to find out in a minute what got them sideways. Korah, a descendant of Levi, the priestly tribe, as we read here, he wants something of a higher position. He already has some responsibility in the, in the temple, some responsibility in the worship time, but he's not satisfied with the responsibility that's been given to him, and he wants more. Dathan, a group of Reubenites and all the guys with him, these 250 guys, now, now check this out, they did not all hang out together. These weren't a bunch of guys that were just from one family. They're from different groupings. They didn't hang out together. The only thing they had in common, what united them together, was their complaint, their aggravation, their rebellion against Moses. That's interesting to me. When we look at their rebellion, we can see some correlation in our life. It's amazing to me the people that will get together that don't have anything in common other than what bugs them enough to rebel. The people who get together at a city meeting or at a school or another place of authority at a church, people who have nothing in common but they're going to rally together to rebel against the establishment. Now a little bit later on we're going to talk about healthy submission and unhealthy submission. And there's a time when we stand up against somebody who's an authority over us if they're calling for us to sin or they're calling for us to be disobedient to God. And we're going to talk about that, but that's not at all what was happening here. Rebellion is a serious thing. It exists in every human heart. Now, before we're too hard on these people, let's be clear about rebellion. What do we mean by rebellion? First, I don't mean ignorance. 
You don't rebuke somebody who is acting out of ignorance. You teach them. You don't rebuke them. So this is not a group of people who are ignorant. They're rebellious. Second, some people do foolish things because they're discouraged. The the weight of life in a situation has weighted on them so much that they make foolish decisions. Are they going to be held accountable for their decisions? Yes. Could their decisions be sinful? Yes. But is their decisions rebellious? Not necessarily. It may be out of their discouragement that they're making foolish decisions. You see, when it's ignorance, it's a matter of of the mind, of, of understanding. When it's discouragement, it's a matter of emotions. But so often, when it's rebellion, it's a matter of the will. I choose to rebel. Now, now, parents, this is a good thing for us to take note of and look at. Employers, this is a good thing to take note of and, and look at. Is it ignorance? Rebuking is not going to help near as much as teaching. You teach those who are ignorant. If this is an action out of discouragement, you bring correction, but then you bring encouragement to help. But if it is rebellion, you deal with rebellion straight on, head on, swiftly and strongly. Rebellion, write this in, it is knowing but not doing what God wants you to do. That's what rebellion is. It's knowing but not doing what God wants you to do. Rebellion, it's not trying and then failing and then trying again and then failing again. That's not rebellion. That's another problem. Rebellion is my fist in the air, my finger pointed out. It's lips out, arms crossed, back turned. I will not do it. That's rebellion. You see, rebellion is all around us. Have have you seen rebellion before? Have you seen rebellion in the mirror before? Who likes to be told what to do here? Anybody like to be told what to do? You can see how this is so natural. It just, it oozes out of us. I just, who are you to tell me what to do? I don't like it. I mean, this is from the very beginning in Genesis. God says 99.9% of the things just do what you want to do. But this tree, this fruit, don't eat of it. And about 10 minutes later, Adam and Eve have apples in their mouth. It's, well, that's, well, then that's what I want if all these other things. But I, I can't do that. That's rebellion. I know what God has told me to do, and I'm not going to do it anyway. Where does this rebellion come from? It comes from a a sinful seed in our heart, but there are sources from rebellion as well. And we need to catch some of these sources. You don't wake up in the morning and just say, I think I'm going to be rebellious today. I just feel like being rebellious. Now, you may feel like being rebellious, but you don't just choose to rebel. There are some sources of rebellion. Hang with me, don't miss this. This is the key to unlocking the wilderness attitude that many of us can get trapped in. Finding out where it starts, where's the source. One source, one start of rebellion is jealousy. Now look at verse 3 of 16 together. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. (laughs) This This is quite an accusation. This is Moses. He's leading 2 million people, and and they stirred up a whopping 250. Now, you do the math. That's a small percentage. And and they've come to him and said, we've taken it upon ourselves to tell you, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy, they said. Every one of them. The Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? You see, they were well organized in their rebellion. In their attack, they had got their thoughts together. They had planned their speech together. Somebody had organized them. By the way, don't ever be that person. Don't ever be the person who takes it upon yourself to to lead this kind of rebellion. We're going to stir up other people. You know what? Go to that authority figure and talk to them one-on-one. There is a time, and we'll talk about that in a minute, when submission to authority is not godly. And we'll talk about what those Those parameters are, but more times than not, when you find yourself in a position where you are gathering those to rebel, you will regret it, you will bring pain to yourself, you will make the situation worse, and your generations that watch you, that are coming, will reap the pain as well. It's jealousy that was happening here. They're talking about half-truths. Look at verse 3 again. 
They say, uh, the whole community is holy, every one of them. Is that true? Every one of these two million people, they're holy, every one of them. Well, in one sense, not a chance. Now, in another sense, that when we are following God and, and He makes us holy, and, and so therefore we are acceptable to God and God loves us, I, there, there's a part of that. But then it goes on and they give another half-truth here. The Lord is with all of them. Well, I mean, does, does the Lord show favoritism? No. I mean, is every single one of them living in obedience? We're going to find out. Absolutely not all of them are. But this half-truth, rebellion is laced with half-truths. And then this last part, I don't even know if you can call it a half-truth or a quarter-truth. It's just flat-out a lie. Why then, after this case of half-truths, do you set yourselves above the Lord's assemblies? Now, now, what have we learned about Moses over the last number of weeks? He was one of the most humble men that walked the face of the earth. Moses, when he accepted God's call, was he saying, God, you called me? Good, because I was thinking I could help you out. Pretty sure I got this going on. I'm going to rock this thing out of the park. So let's just get on with leading your people. Moses didn't want to have anything to do with it. He had other challenges of, of feeling secure in the, the work of the Lord, but he, he was humble. And the only thing he had done is answer God's call to, to move into leadership, and they didn't like it. What they saw was, you have something that I want, I'm jealous of it, you're in charge, I'm not, I want to be in charge. That's what the scripture says. See, beware of thinking that you should be in the position of another person. That's that's a warning sign of of jealousy creeping in. That person at at work who has been given authority over you, and and you're pretty confident that you could do it better. You're pretty confident that you had it coming to you first, and and yet you begin to think, I I should be there. Be careful. This is a a, a seed, a source where rebellion can start. It doesn't have to, but it can start there. A second source of rebellion is delusions. Look at verse 4 through 7 with me. When Moses heard this, he fell face down. It broke him. He was disturbed. He fell on his face. He was sick to his stomach at these accusations. Then he said to Korah and all of the followers, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him, who is holy, and he will have that person come near to him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Verse 6, you, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take these censers, take these frying pans, these pots that have poles on them that you put coals in and we burn incense. Take these tools of worship. You want to be in charge? Well, you take some tools of worship. We're going to have worship tomorrow, and when we worship... God will tell us whose offering he's pleased with. Put burning coals and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. Now look at this last part. You Levites have gone too far. (laughs) We're going to come back to that. That just cracks me up. You see, they're saying we can do better. Moses says, you want to be a priest? You want to be in charge? Then, Then go get the worship tools. We'll see. You try your hand at this. We'll see how the Lord judges, see who the Lord is pleased with. Now, now don't miss this. When he said, you Levites have gone too far. This is sarcasm right here in Scripture. I mean, how many of them were sons of Levi? How many of them were from a lineage of the priests? One. There's a 250 old guy together. One of them. He's saying, you have delusions. You don't even know who you are. It's amazing when... You begin to get jealous when you begin to think that you're owed something. You begin to think that you've been done wrong, that delusions take root in your heart. You begin to see things that are not quite accurate. Delusions that I am something that I'm not. Delusions that says I I want what you have even though I have no idea what it would mean to have what you have. I want to do what you do even though I have no idea what it would take to do what you do. See, most people in rebellion have no idea what they are talking about. Most of those who are rebelling against their authority, they don't have all the pieces to the puzzle. They don't have all the information that that leader may have. And they say, I want my way more than following you. Isn't this fun? Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? Isn't this uplifting? I don't like it either. But it's God's truth. 
And there is hope at the end of this that takes us out of a wilderness attitude. And if we don't hit this straight on, rebellion will creep up in us. And we've had creative ways to to paint it up, to pretty it up, to dress it up. And we call it something else. But at the root of most of it is rebellion. Another source of rebellion is ungratefulness. Verse 8 through 12. Moses also said to Korah, now listen, you Levites. Isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near him, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too. Is it against the Lord that you and all your followers have band together? It is against the Lord that you and all your fellow fellows have band together and then this last part he's just hacked off it's one thing to just take it for the lord but when you start coming after those you love your closest circle and he says and and who is aaron that you should grumble against him the big brother's coming out and saying you can say things about me but but who is aaron that you would come against him has god not done enough for you Now now some, the one, was a part of the Levites and they had a calling in the priesthood, but others had responsibilities in the temple. They were not in full priesthood, but they had responsibilities in the temple and they were not satisfied with that. They wanted more. Ungratefulness says, I want more, I want better, I want different, and it fuels the rebellion. We need to have a a good reminder. If, If you are a leader of any kind at home, at work, at church, in the community, that is a privilege to lead. It is not a right. Every single leader who is a leader at home, at work, at church, in the community, in any arena, that is a privilege. It is not a right. We need to be grateful for the responsibility that God has given to us and not covet somebody else's leadership challenge. Oh, this is going to get good. A fourth source of rebellion is stubbornness. 1 Samuel 15, 23. Just listen to this. Don't turn to it. In this passage here, we see that God sees stubbornness like witchcraft. The stubbornness of rebellion, he equates to witchcraft. He said, well, how big of a deal is it to be stubborn? I'm just kind of, kind of a hard-headed person. I just kind of have a rebellious spirit. Well, God thinks about that like witchcraft. Well, what's witchcraft? Well, I'm going to mess with things that are not of God. I'm going to again put my faith in things that are not of God. I'm going to start trying to dabble in the power of the enemy. This is how God feels about rebellion. It's stubbornness. And don't let yourself get there. Chapter 16, verse 12, we see the stubbornness. Moses stubborned all these guys to come together, but they said, We will not come. We're not going to do what you said. We've come to you, and the problem's with you. Stubbornness. The fifth one is disappointment. Verse 13. Isn't it enough that you have brought us out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? If you have a Bible open, you've got to read that again with me. Look at this. These are these guys complaining. They're rebelling. Listen to their words. Isn't it enough? That you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness. What are they talking about? They have taken the words that God has chosen to describe the promised land. And they have attached that to the land that they were slaves in. Oh my goodness. This is so convicting. There are times when we are so stubborn, when we are so in much disappointment that we take the very description that God has of a promise that he has for us and we take those words and we attach it to our own slavery and bondage. They took what God promised and they equated it to the slavery that they were in. They were so disappointed, so disillusioned, so jealous, they got the whole thing mixed up. Let's read on. And now you also want to lord it over us. Verse 14. Moreover, you haven't brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Do you want to treat these men like slaves? No, we will not come. Where did they leave? They were slaves in Egypt. 
They didn't have it so good. I can just hear Moses. Guys, now, when the Lord called, the Lord called me. Remember, when, when the Lord called me, you want to go to a burning bush? When God called me to lead you, you were bricklayers. You, 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 you weren't swimming in any pools. You may have been cleaning pools, but you weren't swimming pools. You weren't eating caviar. You may have cleaned the plates that had caviar in it, but you weren't allowed to eat it. If you'd eat it, you'd get in a lot of trouble. You've got to remember where you were. You were slaves in the land, and God has brought you out to lead you to the promised land. But they were so disillusioned. Their, their attitude of gratitude in a short period of time, 16 months, went all the way to rebellion, and they couldn't see which way was up. They were so aggravated. Why would they do this? I, I sense and hear that what they expected from Moses wasn't happening. And they were so disappointed. This was another avenue, another source that brought rebellion. Stubbornness and disappointment can be sources of rebellion. And, and finally here, in verse 15 through 48, you can read this later. It's laced with distrust. They say things like, these people following you, Moses, they like pluck their eyes out or something. You've got to be blind. Now remember, this is 250-some out of 2 million. You do the math. The percentage is pretty low. And they're saying, hey, anybody who follows you, they're blind. They just can't see. They just, they've got to be blind. We don't trust you. We don't want to trust you. It's distrust. Now, out of concern that you may think that I'm not sensitive to your situation. I'm not suggesting tonight that if you have trouble trusting somebody or someone has hurt you, that, that I just belittle that. But I love you enough to share with you that you will have a lifetime in the wilderness if you do not get over this issue. Just because one person has proven to be distrustful, that untrustworthy in your life, doesn't mean that you get off the hook to trust to not trust any authority. Just because one person has blown it and has hurt you, it doesn't give you the license to say, I will never trust anyone again. I will never trust authority. Now, I'm not trying to make light of your pain and the situation you're in. But God says we need to submit to authority. Pastor, I don't know if I like, I don't know if I like this. Well, well, the interesting thing is, God didn't care about what we liked with this. He said, this is how I have established it. This is the order that I have placed. We'll talk about why in a moment. They just didn't trust him. Now, as we move in rapid fire, I'm going to speed up my talker. I want you to speed up your writer and your listener. You ready? That knob is right here behind your right ear. Just turn it up. Speed up your listener and your writer. I'm going to speed up my talker. There's some consequences to rebellion. One... It's leadership withdrawal. In Numbers 16, 20 through 21, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from the assembly so I can put an end to them at once. See, the people who had refused to be led, sometimes God just says, I'm going to give you what you want. You don't want to have authority over you. I'll just remove the leadership from you. You see, God gives us authority as a covering. It's kind of like an umbrella. That God says, I have put a covering over you, and when you submit to that covering, you are under authority. But we begin to ruffle our feathers and say, you can't tell me that, and we begin to move out from underneath the authority, and there's no protection there, there's no leadership there, you're on your own. God says, I want you to stay under the authority. Well, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I like what they're doing up here, i got to get up here and talk about it. I didn't call you to be up there. I called you to be under the authority that I placed over you. Well, I feel like this could be manipulated and I could be hurt. We're going to talk about that. But God protects those who follow his system of being under the authority that he has placed over them. I'm glad I don't believe in bad luck. I guess you're not supposed to do that inside. Something like that. Another consequence of rebellion is innocence being defiled. 25 through 27. Moses warns the assembly, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything that belongs to them or you'll be swept away because of their sins. So they moved away from the tents. And a little bit later on it says, they came out and they were standing with their wives, their children, their little ones at the entrance of their tents. And this tragic event unfolds and these rebellious people are swallowed up in the earth. And it is so tragic. The kids, the grandkids witness it all. 
a consequence of rebellion. You think it's just going to affect you. You have a whole family line that is watching you and will have innocence defiled by your rebellion. Dads, you think you can make a decision that just affects you? You think just for a few moments of pleasure that it's just going to affect you? It could be generation after generation that reaps the painful consequence of your rebellion. It's not worth the eternal consequence that comes. Innocence will be defiled of those who are watching you. Third, consequence of rebellion. The guilty are condemned. 28 through 30. These men die. if They die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind. Then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them and everything that belongs to them, they go down alive into the realm of the dead or some translations say Hades, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. God will condemn the guilty. When you rebel against God, you rebel against authority, there will be a price to be paid. As we read, there's 250 that are swallowed up. That leads to the fourth one here. Another consequence is the infection of rebellion spreads. Now, now, I don't get this. Moses clearly says, hey, you bring out your worship tools. I'll bring out mine. We'll worship. God will decide. The earth opens, swallows them up, and then look at verse 41. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed the Lord's people. Now, now what part of Moses having the power to Open up the earth on his own and swallow up the people and close it makes any sense. The attitude of rebellion had spread already to the remnant around them that the things happening before their very face did not make sense. You want to be free from rebellion, you've got to be able to call it what it is. This attitude of rebellion cannot just be quit. You can't just kick the habit of rebellion. You can't just say, I'm going to stop being rebellious. You can't just say, well, I'm going to start, you know, being less rebellious. You displace it with submission. Now, that's a truth we like to hear about, isn't it? Submission. Don't you want to sign up for a submission course? Submission seminar, how to be a better submitter, if that's a word. (laughs) Whenever I teach on submission, there's usually a significant group of people who fold their arms, sit back, and say, I don't buy any of that. I don't even want to hear it. But friend, this is the key to getting out of the wilderness attitude of rebellion. Now, I understand some of the resistance. Submission has been perverted by some, has been mistaught by some, it's been polluted by some, and we need to deal with that. But just because some people have perverted God's word on the area, the category of submission, doesn't mean we're off the hook, doesn't mean that God's promise is not true. See, submission is a gift that God has given to you and I. It is a protection. It is a covering. Write this in. Submission is is a duty to God. It's our responsibility. It's duty to God. Romans 13.1 Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And you don't like that. You argue with God's Word. That's what Romans 13.1 tells us. Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another. Submit to one another. 1 Peter 2.13 and 14. Now turn to 1 Peter. We'll be there for the next couple of minutes. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, And commend those who do right. Submit to them for the Lord's sake. See, God doesn't want anarchy. He's set up a pattern of authority. Now, now submission, what is this? It's to operate within the established authority to be under the chain of command that God has established. Every time you hear me say the word submission for the next number of minutes, we're talking about the chain of command that God has established. This isn't my idea. This isn't some other group's idea. This is God's idea. 1 Peter 17 and 18 now, 2, 17 and 18, show proper respects to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor, slaves in reverent fear to God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. 
Submit to the authorities that God has put over you. Why? Submission is cooperation with God. 2.13 of 1 Peter. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. When you submit to your employer, when you submit at home to the spiritual leader of the home, when you submit in the community, when you submit to government authorities, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it unto the Lord. Submission is cooperation with God. You see, when we submit to an authority just because we have to or we think it's the right thing, we're missing it. If you don't understand this concept that we submit to the authorities that God has established, we are submitting to God Himself. That's where the joy comes. That's where the victory comes. That's where there is freedom from this rebellion. Submission is a gift from God. Submission, write this in, is protection by God. It's protection by God. We don't often like to fall underneath authority, but just as we talked about this umbrella, this is protection by God. One of the things I'm thrilled about on Sunday nights is we have a lot of our students here. Students, would you stand? I'm going to have you finish the sermon. Just go ahead and stand. No, you don't have to preach or anything, but you just stand. You know, there's a lot of things in our culture that says submitting to our parents is not only not fun, but not necessary. We, we want to step out from underneath the authority of our parents the first time we get a chance. But God has ordained your parents in your home to be a covering, to be a protection for you. Your parents are fighting to give you the best every single day. You say, well, you don't know my mom. You don't know my dad. They, they don't always do things right. You know what? God has put them in authority over you. When you learn to submit to your parents, you learn to embrace the protection that God has for you. All throughout life, there will be authority that you don't like, you disagree with, but when you understand the principle that God is protecting you by submitting to your authority, there is great freedom. You can have a seat. We all should probably stand on that. But we take every opportunity to try to get out from underneath the covering, the protection that God has given to us. Submission is not only a protection from or by God that's given to us. Now, now there's... There's some tension here I need to stop. This truth has tension to it, and I referenced earlier that some of us have a hard time listening right now for honest because of the perversion that some have used in teaching this. They've used it to be racist. They've used this to be demeaning. They've used this to be abusive, and that's not what God is about. Write this in. Submission has limits under God. Now, I'm not just making this up because it sounds good. It's scriptural. 1 Peter 2.16 says, Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Well, the first part of this is you are free. When you submit, you do this freely. You freely submit to the authority that God has given to you. God is calling you to choose out of your own choice to freely submit. You are not a slave to any man. You're not a slave to any woman. You are not bound under the heel of any human person. God has said, I want to give you covering." I want you to be under authority, and when you choose, you are a free person to choose submission. Who are you a slave to according to this verse? Look at it. To God. 1 Peter 2.16, you are slaves to God, not to men. So in all of your submission, God, I'm doing this because you have said. I'm doing this because of what you have established, not even because of them. Submission is voluntary. Write that in. It's required by God. But not because it's demanded by others. Now, others may demand submission from you, and at times it may be appropriate for them to demand submission. But you don't submit because they demanded it. You submit because God has asked you to. There are limits to submission. Well, how much is too much submission? When is it unfair to be asked to submit? When that submission causes you to sin. If any authority over you says you must disobey God to obey me, right away you know this is not biblical submission. Anytime that the authority tells you to move away from God, to, to go farther away from God, this is not biblical submission. And friends, there is a time, I believe there will be a day, when even the government authority that will tell us we have authority over you, if they ask us to go against what God has told us, we have biblical grounds to say we respect you, but we are to obey God more than we are to obey man. Acts 5.29 says that. It's better to obey God than it is to obey man. 
and I don't know what situation you're in, and my heart would break if I would hear all the dynamics of whatever oppression you have felt you've had in your home, in your workplace, in your community, in our country. And if that oppression is calling you to disobey God, to move farther away from God, you are not bound to submit to that. And that is a very real principle in some of our lives. But, but as, as much as it's not popular, I don't think that's a majority. I think there's a whole host of things. We find one thing in that leader, one thing in that person of authority. We don't like it. We say, I'm not doing anything you say, jerk. I don't want to listen to you at all. Goof. And every other thing that comes into your mind. We need to be freed from rebellion. Why? Submission is favor from God. Write that in. It's favor from God. 1 Peter 2, 19 and 20 says this. For it is commendable if someone bears up under pain and an unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. It's commendable. Verse 20, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? What good is that? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. God shows favor on that. Deuteronomy 3.22 says, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you when you submit to your authority, even when they are oppressive to you. They're not asking you to sin. They're not calling you to be far from God. But what they're doing is not fair. It's not right. It's not kind. It's not just. They have taken advantage of you. Take it for Jesus. When we think of the greatest persecution we face, God help us. Then compare to the cross. Things we get all riled up about. Can't believe they didn't have me give the speech at the company party. Great persecution I faced. The neighborhood association overlooked my lawn this year. It looked pretty much better than the guy who won. Persecution that I faced. But I have always sung the solo in the Christmas cantata. <laughs> Uh, hurts a little bit, doesn't it? But they've always asked me to speak at the pastor's conference. They didn't. The things that we think are persecution, God help us. It's not calling us to be sinful. It's stepping on our pride. It may be the very thing that God wants to bless us in, give us favor in. Because when we suffer whatever small thing or huge thing that it is for the sake of Christ, we join Him in intimacy. Look at that in the next one. It's the final one. Submission is intimacy with God. There is some intimate things you can experience with God that only come through submission and, unfortunately, in suffering. First Peter 2, 21-25. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. What's His example? They tell us right here. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled insults against him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, verse 23, 1 Peter 2, 23, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When you submit to the authority in your life, you submit, you are entrusting yourself to God who judges justly. You know what? Time and truth are coupled together. Truth will always come out in time. That thing that is not right at home, that thing that is not right at work, that thing that is not right at church, that thing that is not right in your community, truth and time are coupled together. Over time, the truth will win. Trust the one who judges justly. Take it for Jesus. Submit and allow him to protect you. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Jesus is our ultimate authority, and we submit to the authority that he's put over us. We have intimacy with him. We are submitting ultimately to him. Pastor Brady, I like this series to tonight. Very few people ever come to my office and say, you know what, just 
kind of think I'm struggling with rebellion. Now, lots of people come and tell me who is rebelling against them and want me to set them straight. Few people say, you know what, I just think i got an attitude of rebellion. Because to even utter that, you're on the path to changing that course and it's not taking root in your life because you're submitting to someone else who points it out to you. It's just like the truth. How do you know when you're deceived? You don't. You're deceived. <laughs> Others who you trust and love come alongside you and say, you're wrong. I mean, I know you think you're right, but you're wrong. You're deceived. Church, I want to encourage us to take God's word and to understand that our attitudes that are formed over a long period of time, you can't change your attitude overnight. You don't just go home and say, oh, I'm going to just be done rebelling. You can't do that overnight. It's formed over a long period of time, but you can change course. You can change directions on your attitude now. And it starts with submitting. Husbands, love your wife the way Christ loved the church. We get all excited about being the spiritual leader of our home. And it's true that wives are to submit to their husbands, to follow the leadership of their home. When God went to Adam and Eve in the garden, he didn't go to Eve, he went to Adam. Eve did it first. Eve got us in this mess, ladies. But we were two seconds behind with a mouthful of apple as well. We didn't lead. We followed. And God held us accountable. There's going to come a day when God holds us accountable, men. But our accountability is not to be one that we view as lording over. You get to be the first one who dies. You get to lay down your life for your family and your spouse. There's a tremendous freedom when we say, God, you're the ultimate judge. I'm not going to be the defender of myself. I want you to change my attitude before it's too late. Father, I thank you for the truths that you have brought out before us over the last number of weeks. Moving from grumbling and complaining to thankfulness. And God, we've seen that we can covet and we need to be content. And we've seen that there's a critical spirit and we need to have love to displace that. And God, there has been doubt that we need to have displaced with faith in you. And we need friends of faith, not friends of doubt. And tonight, God, it doesn't feel real good to talk about rebellion, at least of our own fault. But Lord, I pray that you will teach us to submit to you by submitting to your word, which calls us to submit to the authority in our life. Not because they're always right, not because they're flawless, not because they deserve it more than us, because, Lord, you know that when we learn to trust your hand, even when the world does it wrong, you will be our judge and protector. Thank you for helping us turn a direction tonight on an attitude. It's in faith that we have confidence and joy that you will displace rebellion out of our hearts and put an attitude of submission. In your name I pray. Amen.